The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back to this week's episode of Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere else you go to get your fine Bills-related podcasts. We are so glad you took the time wherever and however to listen to Believe with myself, John Boccasino. Our guest here today on the Believe podcast needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway because it's fitting to welcome on a fan favorite, a member of the Buffalo Bills Offensive line for nine years, he is Eric Wood, the former popular Bill who currently serves up in the radio broadcast booth with John Murphy, serving as the color commentator on your Buffalo Bills radio network. Uh, He retired from the NFL after the 2017 season after suffering a career-ending spinal injury. But these days, Eric Wood keeps himself quite busy, and he is joining us here on the podcast to talk about his debut book titled Tackle What's Next, Own Your Story, Stack Wins, and Achieve Your Goal in business and in life. And again, he was kind enough to join us here on this week's episode of the Bill Leave podcast. Eric, how are you holding up these days? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, listen, again, it's always a pleasure talking to a former Buffalo Bill who uh, I know your career ended a little bit short of, of the goal and you're watching the Bills be Super Bowl favorites this year, but you've got a great story to share with our audience. And I want to start with this question. You come to the Bills after a great career at Louisville. You're a first round draft pick in the 2009 NFL draft. Then you had to decide that you were no longer going to play pro football with the Bills. Take us through that thought process. How tough was it to go from being football's your life to now you got to walk away and not really on your own terms due to the injury? It was really tough, and honestly, there was no decision to be made on my part because I had battled back from so many injuries throughout my career. I was ready to just get another surgery or do whatever it took to get back out on the field. I loved professional football. I loved the direction of the Bills. Heck, when everyone thought we were tanking, I was the guy who signed a contract extension with the Bills. I was the first contract that Brandon Bean gave out as GM of the Buffalo Bills. I'll always uh, be appreciative of that. Maybe I can hang my hat on that one, but it was tough. (laughs) It, It honestly is. And, you know, whether you'll admit it or not, when so much of your life is consumed with football, it becomes a major part of your identity. It wasn't my full identity, but part of your identity is stripped from you and you have to um, uh, find certain things in your life to either 
replace that, but to find passion in, in some other areas of your life. A lot of that's discussed in the book in a lot of detail, but it, it, it is tough and it's been chronicled a lot more. And look, I get it. No one wants to give professional athletes uh, a bunch of sympathy once they move on to their second career, their next chapter of life, but it can be difficult. Did you battle depression uh, towards the end of your career, just thinking about the fact that you were done playing this game that you love so much? I wouldn't call it depression because I was excited about a lot of things I had going on in my life at the time, but there were definitely periods of anxiety, anxiety that I never felt in my life before. Prior to getting injured, every single day I woke up and yes, I wanted to be a great husband and father and Christian and all those things. But I wanted to be the best center in the NFL. And so all of my decision, we planned our entire year around my training and sleep and everything else that it was going to take to be the best that I possibly could. Well, now that's gone. What, well, what does it matter now if I get up early? What does it matter if I worked out today or if I ate healthy? It, what's it all for? And so that gave me some anxiety in trying to figure out what was next in my life. And then take us through the thought process of how you negotiated those difficulties of wondering what's next. Like, what was your game plan? How did you come up with going from being a great center, anchoring our O-line to your second career? Yeah, so I, I luckily I had treated the media well enough while I was playing that so many of them reached out and said, hey, if we can ever do anything for you transitioning into sports broadcasting or sports media, let us know. So a lot of those individuals helped me get my foot in the door with ESPN and ACC Network, Fox, CBS, and then eventually the Bills Radio Network. And so, so many of those individuals helped me. I had a great foundation in my faith, my family support, support from friends helped me tremendously through that transition. And then really starting my podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood, and having so many individuals, whether they've transitioned out of pro sports or have had pivots in life or it's musicians and actors and CEOs and everybody in between. I just learned so much from all these people to where it motivated me to say, Hey, look, you know, money aside, you know, who knows what happens money wise, but this next chapter of my life can be way better and way more fulfilling than even pro football was. And that starts to get you out of bed in the morning. Although in your second career, Eric, you can't really pop somebody who's coming off the line of scrimmage at you trying to get after the quarterback. Do, do you miss any part of the physicality of the game? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, now I'm hitting golf balls and pickleballs and all that. But yes, <laughs> I, I definitely miss the physicality of football. It's it's fun. It's something I did since I was nine years old, and I enjoyed hitting in the physicality of football up until the end. And so, yes, that is definitely something I've missed. When I first came to the Bills, and this was like a meathead 23-year-old me, but when <laughs> I first got to the Bills, I had a quote that said something along the lines of, you can do things on a football field that would get you arrested in public for, and that that still applies to this day. <laughs> We're talking here with uh, Eric Wood, who is kind enough to join us here on the Believe Podcast. He has his first book out titled Tackle What's Next. Make sure to go check it out. It was released on October 11th. Working with the Bills, you get to see this team up close and personal. What would it have been like for you if you were Mitch Morse, if you're blocking for Josh Allen? Like, Take us through how you would handle being center for this dynamic offense. I'll tell you, it would have been a lot of fun. They moved the ball up and down the field. They'd score points at will. And I was extended to be the center, the veteran presence on offense for whoever they were likely going to draft in the first round the following season. We headed into 2017. No, we had already traded uh, for 
the pick that became Tredavious White, which was the Mahomes pick, they were setting up to draft a quarterback high in the 2018 draft. I didn't know it was going to be Josh, but you know, Josh is a guy that I've gotten to know a little bit over the years and who I have just so much respect for on and off the field. But the way he plays is it would be so much fun to play with. It reminds me a lot of, and I've had a conversation with him about this, Orion Fitzpatrick, who has no ego, throws his body around, having fun with his teammates. But Josh Allen's six foot five, 245 pounds. He's fast. He can throw the ball the length of a football field. I mean, he's got the total package. When did you, as an analyst and a former center, when did you realize that Josh Allen had the potential that he has? Because he came in very maligned out of small school Wyoming, and he's really proved all the doubters wrong. He has. And I'll say this. Everyone wants to I'm, I'm going to I'm going to get to your question, but everyone wants to compare any rookie or second year quarterback that's struggling to Josh Allen. Now, I was watching Josh Allen up in up close and personal. And yes, he had struggles. He was last in the league in completion percentage his first two years. I get that. But the highs were so high. The highlights were there. It looked different than some of these young quarterbacks that struggle. And then they say, well, he could be Josh Allen. You never know. Well, Josh's highlights were so strong. The arm talent, the the way he played, his speed, everything was there. And so it was, hey, can he develop to be a more accurate passer? Can he make decisions to give himself some easier throws? And I think, you know, Josh goes from last in the NFL, last in the NFL completion percentage to top five. It's never been done in the NFL before, but it's not all mechanics. It's not all accuracy. Some of it was talent at wide receiver. And then some of it was just taking easier throws, making smarter decisions. And so how he's developed has been nothing short of remarkable. And, and a lot of the credit goes to him and his hard work. But also, you got to give the Bills some credit. Even though he was struggling early on, they saw those flashes that I saw as well. The long throws down the field off play action to Robert Foster. You know, he was making Robert, he made Robert Foster a top five fantasy receiver for the second half <laughs> of the season in 2018. I mean, he, he had the ability. It was just a matter of can he put it all together? But when you ask about when did I see flashes, I saw it as rookie year, flashes of it. And it, it really is. I'm glad you brought up the contract extension point because you have such not everything is linear in life. You know, you, you plot things out. You think you're going to be in the NFL for as long as you can. And of course, you mentioned you knew the time was right to step down and, and retire with a spinal injury. But how how hard has it been knowing that you could have you you snapped the playoff drought, which was we all thank you as Bills fans. That was a, a monumental occasion we'll get to. But just how tough was it to know that you could have been out there and yet your body just wasn't able to uh, perform anymore? Yeah. And the bad part is I felt better than I did my entire career. I played every single snap that season, including the playoff game, which is rare in the NFL. It's even guys that don't miss any games rarely go an entire season without missing a snap because your shoe could come untied. You could be beating a team too bad. You could be losing too bad. You get dinged up mid game, miss a few plays, come back in. My body felt great. I just had this creating neck injury and then there was no decision. And one of the hardest things when I first transitioned out was when everyone was saying, Hey, you made the right choice. Hey, you're being smart. I said, no, I'm not. I'm medically disqualified. If there was any way for me to go back out on the football field, I would do it. I love pro football. You know, I went from a 
having one scholarship offer to college to be in a first round draft pick and play my entire career with one organization. I'm living the dream here. Like this is exactly what I want to be doing and I don't take it for granted. So that was tough, but you know what? Everything in life happens for a reason. I believe God has a plan for us all. And I'm excited about this chapter of life and I still get to be around the bills. Yes. I'm not out on the field playing and I'm not out there competing, but being around the organization still is it's good for my soul. And and speaking of good for the soul moments, I love every New Year's Eve, the clip surfaces on social media of both the Bills beating the Dolphins and then Andy Dalton to Tyler Boyd, that connection that gets the Bills into the playoffs. Take us through, you know, as someone who was in the locker room, like what was that moment like? Your, Your fate is out of your hands. You're watching this broadcast. How cool was that moment? So the funny thing is, and this was a nice troll job by the Dolphins because they were eliminated. Well, they're whoever's running their stadium ops, they refuse to show us the scores during the game. We would have to ask like an assistant (laughs) trainer, like, hey, what's going on around in those other games? So we knew the first two games weren't working in our favor. But if Cincinnati could beat Baltimore, then we could get in the playoffs. Cincinnati was eliminated from the playoffs. Ravens were win and get in, but it was likely going to be Marvin Lewis's last game. And I knew being from Cincinnati, how much those guys love Marvin Lewis. I said, well, we do have a shot because they want to send Marvin Lewis out on a high note. The Ravens are his former team. They're going to play hard in that game. They're not going to fold to the Ravens. We get back in the locker room after the game and the game's not on, but there's TVs in the locker room. And so I don't deserve all of the credit because I didn't actually get the remote, but I'm telling the trainers like, Hey, the game's not over. Put on that game so we could watch the end of it. And we watched it in the locker room and just really awesome. And I'll never win a Super Bowl as a player, but in that moment, 17 years of playoff drought and just knowing what it would mean and did mean to the city of Buffalo and all the fans of the Buffalo bills meant the world to us. Listen, it was reciprocated because I, I can remember again, everyone just wanted to celebrate like crazy. And it was, it's, it's tiny to think of a playoff drought, a win just to get into the playoffs, but that's the significance that it held for Bills fans. We've never taken success for granted because, you know, I've been a season ticket holder since 2006. You know, I, seeing all the wins the team goes through now, you never want to take it for granted because we know what the dark era was like uh, during the drought when the team missed the playoffs for 17 years. And now the bills are prohibitive favorites to win the Super Bowl. It's, it's been crazy to see what Brandon Bean has built up and, and your role as an analyst too. I want to talk about that transition, uh, you know, from being a player to being a broadcaster. When did that enter your mind that you thought that was a future and how did you make the adjustment from being on the field to being in the booth? Yeah, that's a great question. So throughout my career, I always thought maybe sports media, maybe broadcasting would be something I would be interested in doing. But I wasn't one of those guys that went to the broadcast boot camps and did internships at ESPN because I fully was all in on football. And I just well, and I had just signed a contract extension. So I was not in the mindset of my career is about to end. I need to find something to transition to. I also tell guys often When you're too focused about things outside of football, call it real estate or broadcasting, you're going to get to that second career sooner than you should because you're not (laughs) all your attention is not going to be on football and your career and being the best player that you can be. And so when my career ended, there was a a natural, uh, you know, a natural draw to sports media. Now, because the bills did not cut me until the very last second for salary cap purposes, on May 31st, I couldn't go get a job because then I'm retiring. 
if I go get a job during that time. So that first year, I called one college football game for Fox, did a couple of pregame shows. But I really, there was no opportunity to just go say, hey, I'm going to jump into the media. And so based upon getting some auditions, calling that game for Fox, I was able to get more opportunities that following year, which led to two years of me doing college football for ESPN and ACC Network and doing Bills games back to back each week, knowing that I signed two-year contracts with both. Afterwards, I'll kind of figure out which direction I want to go in. And then ultimately, the Bills radio gig, it's fun for me. It's a lot of exciting for how good they are. I love working with Murph and Sal and Todd Brody and Greg Harvey and everyone that goes into the broadcast, Jeff Matthews. Every, it's just, it's a fun. I've looked forward to the games. You know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I looked forward to my job when I played for the Bills, and I still look forward to my job when I get to call the games. Is there anything – I know a lot of the former quarterbacks, including your, your teammate Ryan Fitzpatrick now with Amazon sporting that glorious beard, which looks resplendent as always – um, but is there an advantage that you as a center have in calling the games that maybe a quarterback uh, might not pick up on? Yeah, I mean, I understand some of what goes on maybe at the front se- uh, front seven or linebacker level, maybe a little bit better than a quarterback would just based upon playing the position. But I feel like quarterbacks and centers, you know, think of a Jeff Saturday or some of those guys that have transitioned as well. Quarterbacks and centers, you're you're taking in the entire field from the inside out. And so you're so used to looking at the entire field, you know, people follow the ball, uh, 99% of people, maybe higher percentage than that watching games, follow the football. So when I'm calling a game, I'm rarely focused on the offensive line play. Maybe, you know, maybe it's who's in at pass rusher for the bills. Hey, Von Miller's in on this crucial third down. That's something the audience would want to know because they're not, a lot of them are, they're listening to us on the radio. They can't visually see that. So I might throw in a tidbit like that, but I understand that it's a lot about the passing game. And, and fortunately, I've I've grown and known a lot about the passing game and a lot about what the ball carriers are looking at as well. Now, I want to reminisce a little bit more about your career here with the Bills. We we got to the, the highlight, if you will, of making the playoffs. But what are some other cool memories you've got? I mean, you played with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You had some great Bills teammates along the way. Like, what are some memories that really stand out to you as being some of the favorites? Yeah, I mean, there's countless locker room stories or trips we take after the season. You know, just kind of being around the guys was so much fun. Some favorite games that I had throughout my career. I mean, I always think back to that New England game in 2011 before season got derailed because of some injuries, but how hot we started that season to get the 3-0, and <laughs> beat the Patriots at home. That was a lot of fun. Um and, and, you know, even, you know, just starting as a rookie and, and getting to play on Monday Night Football, we lose at the end of the Patriots. Uh, but starting your career on Monday Night Football was a ton of fun. And, you know, having big time personalities like Rex Ryan in the building, having someone <laughs> as cerebral as a Dick Duran, a, a Chan Gailey, you know, learn from Doug Marone all the coaches that we had within the building that are, you know, scattered all over, but some become head coaches and Anthony Lynn, Nathaniel Hackett and and others. And so for me, it's, it's, and so many guys will tell you this, but it's about the relationships. It's about the incredible people you meet and then going out competing on Sundays is a lot of fun. You got to have some stories you can share with us about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I want to keep going because I keep hearing, I mean, there's a typical Deshaun Jackson Buccaneers press conference. He comes out looking like a baller from the seventies with, Deshaun's jacket on there and I'll looking say like this. a true prankster. So right before he went out for that press conference, th- that was my first year out of the NFL. He texted me right before it 
and he sends me a selfie of him in that gear. He said, should I do it? Cause he knows that I'll be a voice of reason to him. <laughs> and, and I said, I said, yeah, you should definitely do it. And you know, in this day and age, you have to be very careful. You know, you dress up as a black teammate and you're a white, you know, you just never know how that's going to be misconstrued or whatever. And the fact that Deshaun Jackson was in the press conference, you know, with his shirt off, like, Hey Fitz, I need my stuff back and all that. I mean, just classic, <laughs> but you know, Fitz, I mean, he's got seven kids now. He had maybe four when he was in Buffalo. By the time you're finished with work and everything else, it doesn't leave a lot of time for, you know, a bunch of stories outside of the building. But we would go out to lunch after work on Fridays, maybe 2 or 2.30. We'd go out to lunch and we'd end up at like a diner and sit there and eat our faces off on Fridays. And then, <laughs> and then you know, after the season, Fitz one year, Medicine Vegas, I taught him how to play craps. And, you know, Fitz is brilliant. He's a numbers guy. So he learns craps. And of course, he's addicted and just absolutely loves it. So <laughs> I go to bed late, go to bed late. I come back down. We have a 9 a.m. tea time, get to the lobby, maybe 730. And I look over and he's still playing craps. And just he's he's just an all or nothing type of guy. But uh, one of my favorite teammates ever and just a ton of fun to play with. I know uh, if he needed any more legend for the lore of Fitzy when he was in the playoff game versus New England and his, with his shirt off for a moment that the cameras captured, that was classic vintage. I know Ryan Fitzpatrick, <laughs> but it, it goes to show he how many how many starting quarterbacks can you name that would be in the stands amongst the masses with their shirts off? I mean, it was such another endearing chapter. He was technically still the starting quarterback for the Washington football team at the time. <laughs> and he texted me that week and he said, hey, I'm coming in for the game, flying in right before it, and we're flying out after, but would love to see you for a second. I was like, whoa, you know, you're going to get crushed in the stands. I said, you can honestly sit in the back of the broadcast booth. We could put a headset on you and your son. Like you guys could have fun doing that. I can get you in a suite you know, you let me know. And he goes, no, I'm just going to sit in the club. And then he ends up with his shirt <laughs> off and all that. And, uh, and and the funny thing is like, I would assume most people would look at that and be like, oh my gosh, I'm sure he was hammered drunk. It's like, <laughs> no, he's there with his son. He's there with his son, his old neighbor and his son. Yeah. He fit right in with the Bills fans out there. And and I, I do want to ask you about that because when the Bills were losing the fans still showed up. And now that they're winning, of course, they show up even stronger than ever. How can you describe the passion of Bills fans and Bills Mafia and like the impact that had on you guys on the field? Yeah, I'll say they deserve this. They deserve this time for sticking with us through the playoff drought. But, you know, it, it's a special fan base to to play for. And, and for what it does for us on the field, when you run out of the tunnel, even during a losing season and you hear the roar of the crowd, that, that does something for you. That makes you want to play a little bit harder. Now, in the heat of battle between the white lines, you know, that, that only goes so far. You know, I always say you fall back on your training and your habits. But that being said, the, the Bills fan base is special. And, you know, the Bills fan base got very, very popular from kind of the barstool culture of table breaking and dizzy bat videos and people on fire. And I'll have buddies say, hey, you know, when I come up for the game, are we going to see that? I said, no, because that those are in lots where those people might not even be coming to the game. <laughs> like you're going to find the most organized tailgates with the most passionate fans that will pass on the way into the stadium and I, I just love now that it maybe it hasn't fully surpassed it, 
but the generosity of Bill's Mafia is now known nationwide. And I got to see it prior to them kind of blowing up when they supported Andy Dalton and then Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen with the Patricia Allen Fund and so forth. I got to see it before then because I had my foundation in Western New York throughout my career. And so I got to see how generous this fan base is. And then now I just love that on the national scene, you know it as well. Yeah, Bills fans for sure will open even to it when he gets hurt. They're opening up making donations to South Beach. It's it's really Bills are generous. The fans are charitable and they've supported your organization as well. I do, Eric, want to talk a little bit more about the book. I feel like that's something that we really should be hammering here uh, as we wrap up our interview. When did you have this idea to produce the book, Tackle What's Next? And and was it difficult to put your thoughts into paper and put this book out? Yeah, so I I became a reader about midway through my NFL career. I remember when the first time I met with Sean McDermott in his office, I looked behind him and there was many books that I had read as well. And I knew that we would be aligned in our thoughts and that we'd get along really well. And Sean ended up writing the foreword for this book, funny enough. But, you know, I, I never would have guessed that I would have written a book. I would have had imposter syndrome to say, well, Kyle Williams should write a book before I do, or Ryan Fitzpatrick should write a book before I ever should. But I was encouraged by so many people in my life, especially with the amount of podcast guests that I had on my show that poured into me and poured all those lessons out. I mean, you're talking about getting essentially coaching from the likes of Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, Mike Vrabel, Dabo Sweeney, some of the top coaches in all of sports, and then some of the top life coaches as well, a Ben Newman, an Ed Milet, a John Gordon, these types that people pay thousands of dollars an hour for a one-hour coaching call. And so to be able to combine everything that I learned through them into one book just seemed to make sense for me because I felt like it could benefit others. And then as far as me writing a book in the process, I think I could do it in about six months now. This book took about 18 months and you you learn in every situation. And there's a lot of things that I could eliminate or do a lot faster the next time around. But with it being the first, you you want to make it right. What's the best piece of advice? Because you talk about transitioning and I know not everyone obviously is going to go from being a pro football player to a second career, but we all go through these transitions. So what's your best nugget of wisdom for someone who might be thinking about a transition, how to make that transition happen? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I feel like this book almost applies to non-professional athletes more than pro athletes, because so many of the people that I take wisdom from and then supplement it maybe with my own stories are, are not professional athletes. This is for everybody out there that just wants to make that next chapter of their life better than the one now. And, and I'll say this, probably my favorite in my top advice, if I'm doing a speaking gig, it's simply about stacking winning days on top of each other. And winning days can look like many different things to you, but you have to have a vision. You have to have core values and gifts. And we talk about that early in the book because you got to know where you want to go. But then it's about just taking small steps each and every day. That 1% improvement. People often ask, well, how do you go from getting one scholarship offer to being a first round draft pick four years later? And I say, there was no, like, I didn't grow a bunch taller. I didn't put on a bunch of weight. It was just daily wins, get a little bit better each and every day, a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, get a little bit smarter, get better technique. And then all of a sudden you build yourself into that. We often will way overestimate what we can do in a day or a week but way underestimate what we can do in a year or five years from now. You have no idea 
the trajectory of your life, what you can do by just stacking wins after wins after wins in your life towards a specific goal or vision, because otherwise you might get somewhere other than where you want to be. But stacking those winning actions and days is what it's all about. And where did that, was that from Sean McDermott directly about stacking wins on top of wins on top of wins? It's it's a combination of many, uh, many people that have poured into me, but Sean McDermott, yes. You know, when he talked about the process, the process, hey, we have to trust the process. And I know Bill's fans <laughs> were about sick of hearing that. And then Joel, <laughs> thank God Joel Embiid started talking about it in Philadelphia. It took a little of the heat off Sean McDermott from saying it all the time. <laughs> But when Sean McDermott talks about the process, it's just daily improvement. And he would always tell us, look, in each and every game, we either win or we learn. The only way we lose is if we don't learn from this situation, because if we learn from it, now we're still growing as a team. We're still growing as individuals. And so, yes, Sean McDermott talks about that a lot. And for those that aren't interested in hearing me um, and reading my writing, Sean did an excellent job with the forward. Well, I will highly recommend to Bills fans. Check out Tackle What's Next by Eric Wood. Eric is also a phenomenal follow on Twitter at EWood70. He is the Buffalo Bills radio color commentator and a bill for life. Eric, I thank you so much for making the time. Best of luck with the book sales. And we'll look forward to seeing your next book coming up a little bit shorter than the last one took to produce. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on.